Amen. Uh, just a, a, a quick thought about Vacation Bible School, about children's ministry, and about youth uh, student ministry for uh, middle school and high schoolers in a local church like ours. I was, uh, last weekend at this time, I was out of town because my youngest son, who just graduated college uh, at Liberty University just a few months ago, my youngest son got married last Saturday. And, uh, oh, it was awesome. And, oh, and by gosh, there was some dancing. I'm telling you, we had a great time. And his, his older brother, Derek, my, my middle child, who is, as you may be aware, has been fighting for the last nine months, fighting acute myeloid leukemia. And he's improving and we're hoping for good test results uh, in the next week to, to find him in remission is what we're praying for. But Derek was feeling good and he was feeling strong. He was able to be the best man. And he gave a killer best man speech that, you know, not a dry eye in the house. And uh, so we had a wonderful time. And one of the other cool things that happened for me in, in, and for our family at the wedding last weekend is that we got to spend time together again with my, uh, my ex-wife's parents, my former in-laws, with whom God has done really cool things in our relationship and we were still connected. We had a wonderful time. And so I was talking to Bob or Grand Bob, as my kids called them when, when they were younger. And uh, he's a great, uh, great man and a wonderful friend to me still to this day and, uh, and a servant of God. He spent his entire life, his entire adult life in ministry. He was an army chaplain for 20 years and, uh, and is a, a, a minister in local churches still to this day. And so Bob was sharing about how as a kid, he, he was not raised in a Christian home and yet a local church was having vacation Bible school and a local church, some people from that church invited him and he began attending church and going to vacation Bible school and then, it, and then went to youth group. And that is what changed his heart. God drew his heart. He bowed the knee to Christ. He became a Christian as a teenager. And eventually over a period of years, he was able to lead his entire family to faith in Christ. And that happened because of a local church doing stuff like what we're talking about today. Isn't that mind blowing? And I'm sitting there at my son's wedding and I'm saying he has a legacy, a generational legacy of faith in Christ and ministry in the body of Christ. And part of that legacy, a huge branch of that, that family tree of faith is because some church was doing the stuff that we are trying to do. And here we are all these decades later celebrating a marriage of a young Christian man to a young Christian woman and launching out into their careers. It's, isn't that amazing? Thank you, God. for And, and so we get to be a part of that. And, uh, and I'm just gonna tell you another story from the wedding, all right, that has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't have it. It's just, I have the microphone and my kid just got married. So <laughs> get off me, you know? Um, so Bryce and Scarlett, uh, two young Christians that are awesome and really, really good looking. And they're going to have some awesome 
kids one day. And so, but we had this wonderful wedding and the reception. And we were dancing and we were just going crazy and having a lot of fun. And Scarlett's parents had this thing planned that we didn't even know about, right? Now, it's the very end of the, th- I mean, it's time for them to go and we're going to light the sparklers and they're going to run through the sparklers to the, to the car and drive off and start their life together, right? So we've danced all the way. It's 11 o'clock at night. That's part of the miracle of the thing that is that me and Rhonda stayed awake, you know, through the reception because we're really old and very tired and, and yet we were able to make it. And so we, we think it's almost time and Scarlett's parents get together and they say, we've got one more song. So they bring Scarlett and Bryce together by themselves on the dance floor. And then they ask all of us to surround them, family members, friends. And the DJ plays this worship song that we've been singing for a couple of weeks here called The Blessing, right? Lord bless you and keep you and may his favor be upon you. And it was the best wedding reception end song I've ever, I mean, can you imagine that? Here we are praying the blessing from, from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament over this couple. Wow. You talk about, I, I wept min, multiple times that day. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to tell that story. And I just think that if, you, if your kids are getting married at any point in the future, you should insist that they do that. Because that's a, is that not a great idea? Just blessing and we're all singing. Oh, amazing. All right, so, all right, let me, let me explain what's about to go down. We, if you've been around our church family for the last few weeks, or I'm sorry, a month or so, then you know that we're in a, a teaching series through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the, the fifth book of the New Testament. We've been just kind of going verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And uh, Ed has been leading us through that, and it's been amazing. So that's what the plan was for today, is that I was going to share this uh, a, a message from the last part of chapter 2. And had it all planned and everything, but we're going to go off script, and we're going to uh, ditch that plan, and we'll get back to that next week. The, the primary reason for the change is has to do with... Uh, some, some things that took place in the life of my family over the last few days, and I'll explain all that here in just a moment. But I uh, just wanted to explain why we're, we're going off script. I call it off script, but that's actually probably not accurate because more than likely, the Lord had this scripted out already. It's just off of my script, or it's coming off of the script that I had, which makes me uncomfortable. So pray for me. Um, but I really think that God has... Just, just, just want to share my heart with you. So, it started. I started thinking about it a little bit last night and wrestling with it and saying, "No, I don't want to ditch the sermon and and all this." But when I woke up this morning, or through the night, and when I woke up this morning, here's the phrase that was on my mind. All right, the phrase that was on my mind was uh, from the Lord's Prayer, one line or a couple of lines from the Lord's Prayer. So. If you're taking notes, and, and the little handout that you receive, that's kind of outdated, or the verses on there are the thing from Acts chapter 2, so just 
Let's just make those up as we go along. But if you're taking notes, you could just note Matthew chapter 6, which is where Jesus first introduces what we call the Lord's Prayer. And some people call it the Our, Our Father, and it's probably one of the most recognizable phrases or groups of verses in the whole Bible. There are people who aren't even followers of Christ uh, or church-going people that could recite this. Many of us recited this in football locker rooms before we went to play games, the, the Lord's Prayer. But this one, and Jesus basically in his teaching uh, at one point, the, his disciples in another part of the scripture in the book of Luke, his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see you praying. We want to learn how to pray. And he said, well, here's a good template. And he lays it out. In this particular chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, it's part of what is Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount because he gave the sermon while he was standing on a... Yes, because Christians historically are really good at naming things. So... Jesus preaching his, his sermon from the Mount or the Mount of Olives. And, and in that, kind of right in the middle, he starts talking, giving very important instructions about prayer, kind of like how not to pray and how we should pray. And so after he kind of explains, don't be praying like it's a show or a big deal that everybody, you want everybody to notice. And then he goes through what we now call the Lord's Prayer. What was popping in my head and my heart is verse 10 of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what was running through my head over and over again this morning. I've just got so much stuff on my podium here. I am disorganized. So I'm going to take my phone, which we will use later, because I have something on there I need to draw up, and I'm going to put it there. And I don't know, and now my mint has fallen on the ground, which is gross, but we'll get over it. All right. So, um, your kingdom come, your will be done. So that's actually, obviously, we are praying that. Jesus was saying, pray this to the heavenly Father. Pray, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done on earth just the same way as it is being done in heaven. And so this is language that we hear a lot in the scriptures, in the New Testament portion of scripture. We, we hear the phrase kingdom of God. We hear the phrase being a part of the kingdom or members or or. or being moved into God's kingdom. And, and so this is language that helps us. When we hear the scriptures talking about the kingdom of God, it is talking about the, the language is, is pretty obvious. It's the domain and the reign and the rule of God as king over his people. And eventually, when the final chapter is written and fulfilled the entire earth and the world forever and ever. Amen. So the kingdom of God is a concept that the New Testament is very adamant about putting out there. And the kingdom of God is a present and future thing going on. The kingdom of God is among us, we learn from scripture. The kingdom of God has been, is being established 
Jesus brought the kingdom of God. It was prophesied that he would, and he did. But there's also a future where the kingdom of God will one day be the only thing that rules and reigns over the entire earth for all of eternity. And, and all of heaven and earth, it, the kingdom of God will be. So we are members of the kingdom of God when we bow the knee to Christ, when we follow Christ, when we turn from our sins and ask for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to forgive us and to, and to bring us into God's kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that we are... We were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. That's what we are a part of God's kingdom. And so kingdom language is not really, I mean, we might be familiar with it as, as Christians, and as New Testament readers. And if you study and learn stuff from the New Testament, you might be familiar with it. But do you know where we're not familiar with it? or the, the area or the realm of our lives that we're not familiar with what being a part of the kingdom is all about, is it, it is our Westernness, our Americanness. All right? And I'm grateful to be an American. But I am a citizen of a country, of a democratic country. As a believer, I am a subject in the kingdom of God to the king. We're not accustomed to monarchy kind of language. You know what I mean? We kind of like the democratic vibe a little bit more. And if we're not careful, we tend to ease that sort of mentality into our experience in our faith life. This is a good reminder that the kingdom of God, to believe in the kingdom of God means we believe there's a king. We believe it's not us. And we believe that our responsibility is to be subject to the king, to be surrendered and submitted to the king and his way of doing things. And this is a wonderful, it's the best kingdom ever. But it's upside down from what we normally think or what would be intuitive. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom where the way to be great in this kingdom is not to advance yourself and promote yourself, but it is to, to serve, to humble ourselves. In this kingdom, we don't pay back people the same way they've treated us. When we are misused or mistreated, we're not in this kingdom. We don't have the right to treat them in kind. We are taught by our king that we are to forgive, that we are to let go of vengeance, as Romans 12 says, to let go of our revenge fantasies, to let go of what we think we deserve in terms of justice at the hands of those people who may have hurt us. This is the upside, king, uh, the upside down kingdom where when someone strikes us, we're told to turn the other cheek. The, the ramifications of being a part of the kingdom of God are pretty intense. 
And as we say here at Church on the Trail that we want to help people find their way back to God and grow, that growth part of the equation often leads us through these kind of experiences where we have to decide, am I subject to the king and the way he has set up this kingdom and the way this kingdom is intended to function and how my relationship with the king. See, it's amazing. What's amazing about being a part of the kingdom of God is that there's the monarch and the royal family, which we would call the Holy Trinity. And yet there's no class system. We are all, and there's not a prince and a princess, and they're the only ones. In the kingdom of God, we are all sons and daughters of the heavenly father. It's bizarre when you think of it, but it is what we have been invited to. It is what we walk and it's how we live and move and have our being. This is how life can work for us as sons and daughters of the king. And we don't cash that in for privilege. We look for ways to serve. We look for ways to draw closer to our king, to our father. Does that make sense? It does. Well, it actually doesn't make sense. That's the whole point. That our journey is one that is counterintuitive, but it's what we're being invited to. So when we say, and let's be honest, sometimes we might say it somewhat just out of repetition or out of memory, from memorization. So when we say, your kingdom come and your will be done, what we're really saying is, I'm reminding myself, Father, that I'm a part of your kingdom and that you are my king. I surrender and I submit and I yield and I trust you, my king. That's what thy kingdom come and thy will. In other words, we want to invite more, even more of the sometimes misunderstood and maybe even confusing parts of our walk in our relationship with God. We want even more of that. We want our lives and our world eventually to function the way things function in heaven. This is what we want. This is what we need. But this is hard to do. It's not easy. And I want to talk a little bit about that today and just share my heart. So, um, so here's the story. My wife, Rhonda, and I, we just celebrated our fifth anniversary uh, back in June. And so Cinco de Rondo is what I call this year. Um, so five years of being married. And our marriage is a powerful redemption story for us, for both of us and together. So it's really cool. So we have, Rhonda has three, uh, two grown children and I have three grown children. And rather than throwing around the word stepdad and stepmom, we just like to say we have five kids. So our oldest daughter, Rhonda's daughter, Kendall, 
uh, three and a half years ago, presented us with a phenomenal granddaughter. Her name is Blakely, and she is more awesome than your grandkids. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. So Blakely hung the moon, and, uh, and she's our girl. So we love, we, I just, you know, I get married, and I have grandkids just like that. It's just beautiful. It's a great deal for me, right, for, for us. So we were uh, really excited that, that Kendall was expecting our second grandchild, uh, a boy named uh, Jack Thomas, right? And so Jack Thomas was named after Rhonda's dad who passed away earlier this year. And so, of course, we were very moved and loved that, that Kendall and her husband Thomas wanted to name the baby after uh, their, their late grandfather and Rhonda's dad. So it was just a real redemption story that was, was brewing there. And Kendall was eight, eight months along. And then this past uh, Wednesday, something was, she realized something was wrong. And she wasn't feeling the baby moving, so she goes to the doctor. And they weren't able to find a heartbeat. And so, of course, at that point, we knew this story wasn't going to end the way we wanted it to. Um, so, um, in the wee hours of Thursday morning, uh, Kendall delivered baby Jack's body. But baby Jack's spirit was already with the Lord. And so to lose, a, you know, a, a baby at that stage of pregnancy is a, is a horrible, horrible thing. And some of you may know what that feels like. So we began this journey starting late Wednesday night all the way till now and, and moving forward where... We're just heartbroken, right? We are devastated by this turn of events. And, um, and it's, it's strange. It's different for everybody in our immediate family because we have, of course, Kendall and Thomas who've lost a child. We have myself and, and Rhonda and, and Thomas's parents, you know, from a grandparent angle and and Rhonda's mom uh, is a great grandma um, who had just lost her husband of 50 years so it, it just it's been a really tough week it's, 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 these these days have been really difficult for us because we don't have a framework we don't have a category to put this in because it's so different than what we thought the Lord was up to. We thought the Lord was up to a redemption thing, story, through baby Jack. And, and now, you know, so we're just, we're dying, you know, and inside. Or, or parts of our heart are just really struggling. And um, so that's, that's why I think the Lord kept saying this phrase from the Lord's prayer from Matthew 6.10 to my spirit overnight and this morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it's almost like, am I, you know, am I willing to pray that? 
in this moment? Am I willing to say, Lord, my king, my father? You know, I, what I really, because I want all these different things for my daughter, Kendall, and her husband, and for their daughter, Blakely. And I want all these things for my wife. And I want these things, and now they're not going to happen. And, but do I, I think the Lord is trying to remind me that I do also want his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And so when I started thinking about this, this verse, I, um, I remembered something else the Lord showed me many years ago about this thing about God's kingdom coming and his, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so now I'm going to pause and we'll get back to this, this story, but I'm going to pause and just talk real quick about um, my personal story. I moved to Columbus in 2013, but for three years prior to that, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama with my parents. Now, prior to that block of time, I had spent my whole adult life in, in ministry, in vocational ministry. I was a pastor at a church and church planner and all this different stuff. But in 2009, part of my life, which I had tried to keep hidden forever, came to light. I had struggled in secret my entire adult life with a huge problem with lust and pornography. And this problem was eating away at the foundation of my life and eating away at my soul. And it, like, like David says in Psalm 52, when I kept silent, when I was trying to hide this, it was like my bones were wasting away inside me. So when all this truth finally came out in 2009, I lost everything. And that's not just... A cliche. I mean, I literally lost everything. My life, my, my, my career, my uh, house, my family, uh, most importantly. And so I began at that point a recovery journey, right? A recovery journey because I had an addiction problem and I needed help. So I needed to stop doing destructive things. But the more important thing I needed was I needed something to change in my heart. I needed things to change in my heart. And God began that process in 2009. So I moved to Birmingham in 2010. And my, my ex-wife and my kids are living in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I'm in Birmingham living in a room in my parents' house. Now, at that time, the Lord started the healing journey. And it's been miraculous. I mean, and that's not a... That's not hype either. It's been literally miraculous. But... I was living in a very small room in my parents' house. And I was super grateful for it because they welcomed me in and I, I, I began to heal. And it's just one of the most critical things that my parents ever did for me was to welcome me in. But it was a very small room. And I remember one time. Now, literally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this off. The room that I stayed in was uh, 
this long from here to where the podium is. And it was from the front of the stage to right here. So it was this little rectangular shaped room. Room enough for a bed, a dresser, TV on the dresser, and I had to walk to the other end of the house for the restroom, right? This was my life now, for 40, in my mid-40s, and I'm living in my parents' house, working at Chick-fil-A in the Birmingham Mall, in a, living in a rectangle. So there was a moment, a time in that first year of living in Birmingham. We lived there three years, right? Or almost three years. So I... The Lord brought up this verse into my field of vision and on my radar is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I started realizing because every time I hear that, I think of I think global. I think eternal. I think uh, and we should, because that's part of what that's about. That God's kingdom will one day invade it all and 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 he will rule for all eternity over the new heaven and the new earth. That, that's gonna happen. Every inch. Of, of the new heaven and new earth will be under the rule of the kingdom of God. And so we should think about that and we should pray for that and we should ex look for the kingdom to expand and develop. But also, when Jesus said these words, he was saying every uh, one of my followers and my disciples has to decide if they're willing to allow the kingdom of God and the will of God to invade their life and expand in their life as it will in the actual literal world around us. And the Lord just brought this thing to me and he said, kingdom come, will be done. Yeah, global, eternal, generational, yes. But Richard, what about right now? What about 2010, Birmingham, Alabama? And so I started praying in my rectangle room that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in that room. In that piece of earth, in that part of the world in North Birmingham, Alabama. I want God's kingdom to come and I would, and I would walk back and forth in my room and I would pray, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in this place. And then I started realizing, what am I made of? What did God make Adam out of? Dirt, earth, the earth. And I thought, wait a second, I'm gonna start praying Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in this little blob of earth that you breathe life into. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth. So here's my thing that I think God is trying to say today. Do we have the guts to pray this prayer and say, Lord, I want your kingdom come, your kingdom to come and your will to be done in my room or my, my literal space that I live in, the environments I inhabit day in and day out, the roads that I drive on my way to work. And most importantly, I think 
the clay that you, that you made me out of? Am I willing to say your kingdom come? I want your kingdom to expand and win more ground in this life. And I want your kingdom to come and want your will to be done on this earth and this earth and that earth just like it is in heaven. And then not long after that, he showed me that about my little rectangle room. I had a dream one night. Now I can count on my on one hand probably the times that I had a dream and it made sense. All right? Some of my dreams are weird and we will not bother burden you with them today. But I had a dream one night laying in that rectangle room and the dream was I was you know how dreams sometimes you're you're like the bird's eye view and you're seeing it all play out like you're in a camera above watching it play out and that's what this was like. And God was in my room, my rectangle room. And I saw him knelt down on the floor and he's hunched over me. I'm laying on the floor, not on the bed, but I'm laying on the floor. And God is doing surgery on me. I guess this dream did get kind of weird, didn't it? It kind of took a gory turn. So, but I didn't, it wasn't gross and weird like some of those medical shows that make you look away from the TV. It was just, I knew what was going on. I knew that God was, I don't know if somebody was handing him scalpels or whatever, but I just knew God is operating on me. I'm, I'm open there. He's opened me up and he's operating on me. And I remember from my perch up top watching this happen, I was saying, no, Lord, don't do this. Because this is not a sterile environment. This is just a room with crappy old carpet. This is not safe. This is not where you're supposed to do operations. Now, I, I knew instantly that the vibe of this dream and the message of this dream was God's work in my life in this surgery he was trying to do, not being a physical thing, but being a, an emotional and a spiritual thing. Do you follow me on that? You kind of tracking that God was trying to do work in my spirit and work on my heart. But I was still laid open to the point where I'm like, this can't be right. This isn't the right time. This isn't the right place. This, you should not be doing this, Lord. Look at, look at the scene. There are, this, this, this room is messy. The, the fact that I'm living in this room is an example, is a testament to the failure and foolishness of my life and the sin that drove me to this place. This is not a good place. This is, look on the, on the dresser, on the corner of the dresser is a stack of bills that I can't pay because I'm a financial loser. Lord, why are you doing this? This is so wrong. There's a TV on the corner where I watch stuff that I shouldn't have watched. This is a dirty place. This is a, this is a messed up place. Why would you be doing surgery? Why would you be trying to fix things here? Why don't you, why wouldn't you be better to take me somewhere else and help me? And then I just, 
I just felt God saying, no, this is where I come. I come to wherever you are. I come to wherever you are. I come to however you are and whenever you are. And I win back more of your heart. And I heal more of your heart. And I do more than you were letting me do before. This is where it happens. This is where I meet my children. This is where I... This is where I connect with my broken sons. It's right in the middle. Right in the middle. Whatever it is. Whatever crappy place that you put yourself in. Or whatever pain that someone else put on you. That's where I meet you. This is where I work. And this is how my kingdom comes And this is how my will is done in this earth and on this place, just like it is in heaven. And it doesn't matter that that place where the work is being done couldn't be farther or more unlike heaven. Couldn't be more unlike the godly settings that we would imagine. Psalm 139 There's a verse in Psalm 139 where David says, if I was to make my bed in hell, even there, you would be with me. Even there, your hand would be on me. You ever heard that phrase? You make your bed, you gotta lie in it, right? How many times have we been in situations where we... We're just lying in the beds that we made. And we think that the way out of that is just to grit and gut it out and hope things get better. And maybe if we can figure it out and resolve it or make things right, then we can come to God. What if God meets us right where we're at? And what if every day we have the opportunity to say as messed up as this is and as many question marks as I have, what if, Lord, could your kingdom come into this? Could your will be done? Is, it, is there any way that your will could get done in this messed up thing? And the Lord says, Hand me my scalpel. I'm going to go do some work. And he says, yes. This is, this is what's on my heart. Um, I want to throw out some verses to you. Write them down if you're taking notes. Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 6, verse 3. Psalm 42, verse 9. These are examples of David's angry psalms. um, Where David, uh, Google that, by the way. Angry psalms. It's a thing. It's where the uh, David, who was a man after God's own heart, would just like rail against God and, and accuse God of having forgotten him. And accuse God of being asleep at the wheel of his life. And that's in the Bible, man. It's pretty intense. And I think 
that if we're going to let God do this work and meet us right in the middle of our stuff, we're going to have to get comfortable with, with these kind of psalms, with these kind of angry moments. I have a, in my backyard, there's a, uh, and we just moved into this house a few months ago and we got a, it's a nice little backyard where Blakely can run and play. And, um, but there's a, a little plot of a uh, little oval that has some trees and some brush and stuff, and bushes. And so the yard kind of circles it. And so that's kind of turned into my, my circle, my prayer walk area. And I'll, I'll walk around and I'll pray. And so I'm walking in this circle and I'm, uh, so that's just yesterday I was walking around. Rhonda and her mom got to go and spend time with Kendall because she got home from the hospital. And that was very healing and helpful to them. And uh, I was by myself and that was healing and helpful to me. And I was walking around and I was talking to God. We were having a talk and it was, it was a hard talk, you know, and there was a lot of pain and a lot of anger and I was fussing and I was cussing and um, sorry, I just was. And I was just, you know, you see people you care about going through this kind of pain and just, ugh. so I'm having this talk and I start talking about trusting and surrendering. And I said, Lord, you know, sometimes, can you guys relate to those times when you go through something hard and then a little while later, maybe many years later or whatever, you're able to look back and you're able to go, oh, see, I see what was going on there. Or I see the purpose. Or I can see what God was doing and you can kind of make peace another level of making peace with that thing. You guys ever, that, that is so cool when God does that for us. And I found myself feeling like I needed to surrender even that hope. Like, could I even let go of that and say, what if I never ever spend a day on this earth understanding why this happened? And I'm just surrendering that. I'm just surrendering it. And the Lord reminded me of something that happened uh, in October of 2009 when my recovery journey had just begun. And I just want to read to you from my journal on October 17th, 2009. Uh, I had gone to a, uh, a, a retreat with my recovery friends, you know, our, all our guys who were in addiction recovery and uh, went to a weekend retreat and it was upstate New York at a Franciscan friary. So it was, it was all these Franciscan monks walking around. It was awesome, man, you know? And uh, it was a really important weekend for me and the Lord met me there. And there was a priest who lived and served nearby who was driving in for the sessions. He didn't stay over like we did, but he drove in. And one morning he shared in our group, he said, he said, Lord, uh, and he was all stressed out because he was having major dental issues, right? And when you got dental issues, you really got issues, amen? And he was struggling and he was frustrated and he was praying and he was like, Lord, I'm just so man, mad about this. And why can't you heal me or this and that? And the Lord spoke to the, this priest, this friend, and he said, uh, he said, you know, I love you. You're my, you're my son. 
I love you. I love everything about you. I care about everything about you. I even love your teeth. So this Catholic priest is in, in our small circle saying, God loves my teeth. And so one of the guys said, well, if God loves your teeth, why doesn't he fix them? Which was a cute, funny. And the guy said, I don't know. But even if he never fixes my teeth, I really believe he loves me and he loves my teeth. It was kind of a cool, quirky little moment. When in quiet time later that day, I realized God wanted me to come to terms with some of the stuff in my life that wasn't getting fixed. And so I wrote this in my journal on October 17th, 2009. And this was the dark time, right? Where I lost everything and I didn't know what my life was ever going to look like. And I said, I will love him and come to him every day. This is, I will love God and I will come to God every day, even if I lose my family forever. If I become homeless, if my destiny is forfeit, if I work these hours for the rest of my life, because I was in a really crappy job at the time. If nothing ever changes, if I'm institutionalized, because I felt like I was going crazy at the time, if I'm cast aside forever, I will still love God and I will come to him every day. And I said, thank you for your mercy, O Lord. So the reason I share that is because it reminds me, now this stuff that, my, that I was worried about was these were things, these were scenarios that were playing off in my life because of my own failure, and my, it was at my own hand, right? What I've gone through this week has nothing to do with anybody's actions or non-actions. It just happened. So they're different, but there's a parallel because I realized what I was praying on October 17th, 2009 was, God, if there's any way for your kingdom to come, into this mess and your will to be done, make it so, let it be so. And then I, I started to understand, I started to realize that all the things I don't understand about this week and all the things that I will never know about this week, I have the same decision to make today as I did in October of 2009. And I think we all do in, in whatever scenarios that we find ourselves in. Do we have the courage to say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in this life, in this space that you've given me to live in. Lord, can you do that? And so... I guess it's a long way of getting to this point of saying, I believe his kingdom can come and his will can be done. Will we be able, can, can we do it? Can we go for it? Can we take the chance to believe it? And I just say from the middle of it and from the beginning of it and from all the different stories and, and cycles that I've been through over the last 12 years and the ones that are, are still to come, I would say 
that the story of my life so far would say that God can do it. And he can give us the courage to do it. So that's what I'm inviting us to. To asking the king to invade the stuff of our life right now and say, would you do your thing and would you give me the courage and the insight and, and can you get through my hard-headed skull enough so that I can respond while your kingdom expands and while your will overtakes my life? As I was walking that prayer circle last last yesterday afternoon, it was it was super hot and I was ready to go inside. So, you know, I sort of bailed. I probably could have had even more divine moments, but I was I just had to have some Dr. Pepper. So I'm going in the circle and I remember and I said it because sometimes I, I say corny things in my prayers. And so I rapped and I was heading to the house and I said to the Lord, I said, thank you for walking and talking with me today. And I felt like he said back to me, he said, I love walking and talking with you. And then he said, you know, we've had a lot of these kind of walks and talks before. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, we have, we have. And I don't ever want to stop that. So I'm going to ask the uh, band to come on up and we're going to wrap up. I want to end by reading you guys the lyrics of a, uh, an old hymn. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. Come on, somebody. Anybody? Yeah. So uh, my dad to this day, I mean this very day, leads uh, music in Southern Baptist churches, singing the first, second, and last verse of these hymns. <laughs> Always felt bad for that third verse, you know, never got sang. My dad, who is uh, mid-80s, and, uh, you know, his voice isn't as strong as it used to be, and his bones and joints aren't as strong. man of God, you know what I'm saying? It's just like he spent his entire life deciding to let God's kingdom come and God's will be done. Is that good? I'm sorry, you can move up if you need to. It's up to you. Um, Nathan's my friend. He knows how this is. I mess him up all the time. So, but my dad called me the other day when he heard and he said, he said, uh, he said, you know, if you need me, I'll come over there right now. Dad, he's probably going to hear this. I mean, my dad struggles to drive to South Birmingham. But I believe he'd have come to Columbus if I asked him to, you know. My dad used to lead this song. It's called All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And it's a great hymn written. Uh, oh, I forgot the lady that wrote it. Anyway, um, it says, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies, who through life has been my guide? 
heavenly peace, divinest comfort, ever by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. So, I invite you from my perspective of the last few days to do what I'm trying to do and what my family is trying to do. And that is to say, Lord, in the middle of pain, will you expand your kingdom in my heart? Will you heal more of my heart? Will you bring more of your will into my life? I invite you to do that with me. It's a, it's a, I don't know how it'll play out, but I think that's what the Lord wants. So let's stand together. We're going to close with this song. And during the song, I encourage you, let's just see what the Lord wants to do in our hearts. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for leading us. And Lord, when we're, we're weak and we need a lot of help, and so I'm asking you to help me and my family and my daughter, my granddaughter, my wife and her mother and all my friends who are here today or who are watching this, all my friends who we don't know how to act we don't know how to respond we don't know how to categorize the things that we're going through and we don't know how to answer the unknowable questions and we don't understand. So God, we're just asking you, guide us. We don't know much, but we do know you're our king. And we do know that you're a good father and that you are with us and that you are doing things that we don't even know. And so Lord, if you'll help us, we'll keep surrendering and submitting to you. And Lord, if you'll help us, we will do our best to keep walking and talking with you. So we're asking you again, be our king. Be the one who brings his will into our life and help us in Jesus' name.